Monday morning, way back in September 4th, we did a story sermon on Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, I'm very aware that many of you just listen to Monday mornings, and that's fine. Others listen to just the Wednesdays or just the Sundays, and it's, it's amazing how people use these things, but that's fine. Uh, they're out there and they are free. Speaking of that, free, uh, but we love it when people support our safe harbor, and you can go to OurSafeHarbor.com and see how to do that. But then also, it is free, and it's intended to be free. And so when churches use this, they're allowed to do that. Uh, many of them use them for their men's weekly classes or their home churches. Some even use them for their Wednesday night teachers because, frankly, right now, in our economic situation and in the church situation, among all sorts of churches, finding ministers is very, very difficult. And then affording a minister is very, very difficult. And so we're honored and we're touched whenever you use these as your sermon on Sunday or as on a devotional through the week, that we like that. What we would like from you is let us know, because it really encourages us to know that these are being used out there. Just email us, info, at OurSafeHarbor.com. There's never a charge. We always welcome a contribution, but we never ask or push. All right? We just want to be encouraged by knowing you're out there. Now, here's the story. The story, and it's not even Christmas, is about Mary, the mother of Jesus, because we can learn a few things through the story that don't come out on Christmas. And Protestants have tended to shy away from Mary because they feel that the Roman Catholic Church in particular, and the Orthodox Church somewhat less, but have elevated Mary up to the point where she's a non-person. She is the mother of God. She is the uh, divine lady. She is, let's see, the blessed mother, our lady, queen of heaven, and God bearer. Well, they're not the only ones who do that, by the way. You might be surprised to know that the Muslims... Uh, really revere Mary. In Islam, she's one of only two people, she and Jesus, who are said to have never been touched by sin in their life. They are Tahira. Uh, and they call her Our Lady in the same way that they call their prophets Our Lord. There are two chapters in the Quran that are dedicated to Mary and her family. She's mentioned more times in the Quran than she is in the, uh, in the New Testament. Surprised? I thought you might find that interesting on a Monday. After the first century, people began to write books about her, and they began to try to put flesh and bones on the few bits and pieces of the story we get from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Luke gives us a bit more. It seems that he must have sat down with Mary on several occasions, because he's the only gospel writer that talks about what Mary was thinking and what she felt in her heart. And yet he, even though he mentions her 12 times, all of those are in the first two chapters of Luke. Now, John doesn't mention her name at all, but he does refer to her as a mother of Jesus a, a couple of times. Mark um, mentions Mary five times. Matthew, only, um, only, only one of those in Mark is found outside of um, the infancy very... Um, narrative. And so she's not named a lot in scripture. It's not pushed a lot. But we can learn a lot from this, these very few mentions. For example, 
the place where Matthew and Mark mention her outside the infancy narrative is in Matthew chapter 13 and Mark 6. Both of those cases, Jesus is speaking and he's already causing a real undercurrent of joy, but also concern in the community with the things that he is teaching. By this time, Jesus is out on his own. He's over 30 years old, which was the standard time uh, at that time for a Jewish man to leave the carpenter shop in his case and to go make his own way. But by this time, he already had brothers and sisters and they were leading the pack. And it said that uh, Mary was there with the brothers and sisters and that they had come basically to take control of Jesus. You know, he's, he's causing issues out there with these things that he's teaching. They're not exactly um, kosher, if I may use that term, for the Old Testament and the way things were done back then. He's ruining our church and he's making a spectacle. So they come to get him and Jesus turns and goes, points at the people that are listening and he goes, these are my brothers and my sisters. Now it looks like a slam on Mary, but that's not true. Mary had no power here. She was drug along as a symbol uh, because she is uh, the woman, the older woman who is the mother. But the power would have all been in the brothers and they had brought her along and the scripture does not re then refer to Jesus as Joseph and Mary's son. They only say Mary's son in both Matthew and Mark. By this time, Joseph has disappeared. He disappears sometimes around uh, in the Bible. Uh, we don't see him after Jesus is 12 years old. Now, there are possible reasons for this. One is that he died. Extremely common. Um, you, I, I lost a great-great-grandfather because he cut himself on a fence and tetanus killed him. Just anything can get you when you don't have the medical treatment. It also uh, could have been that he died of old age because a lot of people want to make him older, and I'll tell you why in a minute. We have no evidence that he was an older man. The... Um, Another reason he might have not been there is he just left. You see, jo Joseph was Sadiq. He was declared righteous by God. And a righteous man could, in his life, if he looked back and found his wife had lied to him. And they had children, but the whole basis of the marriage was false. He had the right to step away and shake the dust off his feet and start all over of course, none of us hope that that's what Joseph did. We hope that Joseph remained just close to Mary and a part of this as long as he lived, but it doesn't seem he lived long. And for one reason or another, he is gone. Now, these passages in Matthew 13 and Mark 6 can give our Catholic brethren some fits. And so they make an adjustment and a statement. And here's really the point of telling you the Mary story today. Are you ready? You've gone through seven minutes and here finally you get a point. When we try to solve a problem in scripture, we need to make sure we don't cause two others. Uh, for example, when I figure you, you have to say, well, God dictated every word that they wrote down in the Bible. And Paul is saying, I, I didn't baptize anybody there in Corinth, but, but this guy and that guy, and, and maybe there were some others, but I don't remember. Now you've got to solve that problem. And then it has to solve another. And be very, very careful that your solutions don't cause more trouble. In politics, we see that all the time. We don't need to do that in theology.
Well, they hallowed Mary to such a high degree that they had to grab anything they could about her and declare that perfect. And they went for virginity and they pushed that the holiness of virginity and that being a virgin was much, much greater than, than marrying and having babies. And in fact, in uh, Roman Catholic religion, although it is almost completely ignored, the teaching is that sex is only for procreation. Any joy that is in it is um, secondary at best. And no birth control, just take whatever God gives you because sex is for procreation, that's it. It's uh, the only reason that you would have to do this nasty, horrible thing, you see, because virginity, that's, that's the aim. And so it ended up after a while that their priest could not marry. That was not original. Uh, they called Peter, for example, the first pope. And in Mark chapter one, we find out Peter had a mother-in-law, um, which means he would have had a wife. It's kind of a package deal. All of this became now a problem. If sex is kind of nasty, sweaty, and, and not so good, then that means that produced Mary. So what'd they do? By the year 1000, they were teaching that Mary herself was conceived by a virgin, immaculate conception of Mary. Now there's no history there, zero, no indications. And so they had to say, oh, if she was a virgin and then a virgin all of her life, where these brothers and sisters come from. And I said, well, Joseph, may have been widowed and he already had kids. And so they were older kids and they came in. To, that's where they came from. Does it work? Where were the kids during the infancy narratives? Where were the kids on the flight to Egypt to escape Herod? Where were the kids on the trip to Jerusalem when Jesus was 12? It doesn't work. And so what they said is, well, the word brothers there and sisters also means cousins. No, no, it doesn't. And we've created another problem. And they created another problem with this whole virginity must be why Mary was so pure and chosen. They don't put it that bluntly. And it's and, and I'm oversimplifying here, but we need to stick with the virgin part of this. And so the priest can't marry. The nuns are married to Jesus and are expected to remain virgins all their life. Or if they arrived non-virgin to stay then chased the rest of their life. Um, this goes on to now where they say that Mary was even assumed up into heaven after her death, that her body was taken straight up to heaven. All of these things, because you want to respect Mary and you're looking for details and you're trying to figure out why did God choose this young girl? And you end up with this mountain of doctrines about Mary's perpetual virginity, immaculate conception, tales about her mother, uh, of course, because you got you got to really make the backstory clear of any of this human sweatiness, and then um, then that would mean that sex is not there for pleasure or for a bond between a husband and wife. It's a it must be only to make babies, and you got to have babies. So uh, it's kind of like omelets; you got to break eggs. Um, it's messy and it's awful, and it's certainly secondary. But all of these doctrines. Ignoring the fact that Jesus said from the beginning, God created them male and female. He intended for them to leave their houses and come make a new home and to be one flesh with each other. That was his entire intention. 
but we have to ignore that now. We have to say, yeah, that's okay for some who cannot attain to the higher level of perpetual virginity. And then there was the whole problem of in the um, 70s, 80s, 90s, and in the early 2000s, the virgin culture in the church where they would, you know, I kiss dating goodbye, and now we court, and we have to do this very formal thing. And it looked really, really good, but the guy that wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye later wrote a book about how terrible that was and, and what it unleashed. You see, you tried to solve a problem, and you created another one. We find, and this, this will seem like I'm taking a big leap here, but I'm not. Hang on to a different subject. Uh, used to be a shrink. We, we find that you can really damage your kids really permanently in, in several ways. Of course, you can be abusive verbally, emotionally, um, physically. You can be neglectful. You don't feed them. They have to find their own way in. They're having to sit outside in the cold because you're off having a drunk somewhere. Right. But you know, one of the, and in fact, in many sources, the worst way to raise a child, if you want to make them marked for the rest of their life, driving into uh, to sociopathy or, or, or psychopathy, depression, suicide, is to over-control, is to lock them down is to make sure that every minute is accounted for, that they are shamed if they bring home an A minus, that they're shamed if you can't bounce a quarter off the bed when they make it, that they are shamed and they are controlled and they are harried. And that they are raised in a spirit of fear. Oh no, they might get dirty. Oh no, they might get sick. Oh no, they might break an arm. Oh no, they, oh, we can't do that. That, that could result in damage possibly. And when that child gets older, they're the ones you see on the news that the neighbors described them. We know they were always so quiet. We never knew they were going to do this. When we try to grab an aspect like virginity and tell our kids, you can't go in the dark, all boys are the devil. And oh, yeah, sure. They got a point. And, you know, and all girls are harlots. No, not even close. And all these people are after you and you've got to... Well, you really are damaging your kid. It's better to say, sex is a lot of fun. Um, God gave it to us for a gift. But like a lot of things, driving your car, you, we don't drive the car in the mall. You know, having a gun to go hunt bear if you want to. Um, I have no intention to. Uh, but you know, having that, okay, fine. But we're not taking it into the grocery store and waving around a rifle. We can have things, but they must be in their place, and then they can be enjoyable. You know, I shoot firearms, but I just shoot for targets and competitions. I've never even hunted. That's fine. That's good. Well, I don't need to be carrying my rifle with me when I go into a hospital, right? You see the point. So we just say sex is wonderful where it's supposed to be. Virginity is great, but God never called anybody well, he never, well, Jeremiah, he did. I'm going to have to pull back. He, he did not ask humankind to elevate that above marriage. In fact, Jesus said marriage was the intention. And of course, that's what we hope is marital joy for all. But can you go through life never finding Mr. and Mrs. Wright uh, being, you know, even if it's an involuntary um, 
loneliness. Can you survive and be blessed? Yes. Yes, you can. But God, God's given most of us a, a blessing here. Mary was a remarkable woman, and I know I'm going just a little bit long, but give me at least two more minutes here. Mary never had a good day. Her, her own children did not believe her story about Jesus's virgin birth because they didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. The brothers didn't. There's evidence that the sisters might have. There, um, if, if Joseph left over this, where the own children don't believe the story, you know the women in the village don't believe the story. Mary was not a super white lady who glowed a bit. She would have had lines on her face, calluses on her hands. Her fingers would have been bent from the work she had to do. There would have been frown lines on her, pain lines. And then she has to watch her son die. And then in his moment of triumph, ascend into heaven. She never had a good day at work. But because she was willing to hear Gabriel and then say, I am the Lord's servant. He can do with me what he wills. That's why we elevate Mary not virginity and not some made up concept of perpetual virginity and or that synods never touched her life or that she was immaculate. No, we honor Mary because of a girl of about 13 or 14. We haven't even talked about how they betrothed back then. You can send in if you want me to talk about that. She heard, she knew the pain was coming. And she said, nevertheless, just like Jesus, it's just different words. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Respect Mary. Love Mary. Remember, she never had a good day, so you might not either, even if you are dearly beloved and chosen of God, which you probably are. A great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews seems to indicate you are. But we've gone too long. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Cheers.